Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. A few years ago, I uh, had the opportunity to go to Southern California for the first time. I went with my brother, Brian. And so we went and kind of visited the Los Angeles area. And I had a friend that I was in a small group with who had family in the area and told us about a vacation home that his family had in Anaheim, which isn't too far from Los Angeles uh, for us to be able to stay at. And so we were like, dude, that's awesome. It's a free place to stay. He said the home is just stays empty most of the year. And uh, so we had a rental car and we drove from Los Angeles to Anaheim to stay at this house. And when he said vacation home, I'm not sure I quite registered what vacation home meant until we pulled into this neighborhood and we started to like see luxury home after luxury home after luxury home. It was homes unlike anything I've ever seen. And it was like beautifully set inside of these hills around Anaheim where you could kind of look and see the scenery of California around you. I mean, literally beautiful. And we pulled up to the driveway and there's a gate to get in to the, uh, to the driveway and it's, it's literally secured and covered by a stone wall that's custom built. I mean, beautiful where we're parking. I am quickly feeling out of place as we're pulling in. We go up to the front door, which is a custom front door that I'm sure costs more than the car we drove up in. And like we open and like the entryway, just to give a picture, it was this beautiful kind of round entryway, real tall ceiling and a spiral staircase that went up and a grand piano that sat right in the middle of the entryway. And every single room in this house was, was detailed and specific and custom built. I mean, it was amazing as we were walking around. We went into the kitchen and living room, which had windows that looked out to the custom built infinity pool that looked like it was going off the ledge of the mountain that you're looking through the hills. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. I remember sitting down on the couch and just like, man, I'm a king. <laughs> Literally, I feel like a king today, but it didn't take long before I heard mom's voice in my head. And I heard the phrase that maybe you heard growing up. I heard it from my parents. I heard it from travel baseball coaches. Anytime I was somewhere that wasn't my house or my place or I was borrowing something, there was this phrase that maybe you've heard, maybe you'll finish it for me, that you're supposed to leave things better than you. That's right. Leave it better than you found it. So instantly I'm thinking, all right, I gotta take a mental picture of literally every room in this house, anything we, we, we get you know, involved in. There was a pool table. I'm trying to like, literally take notes of which ball was in which hole. Like I wanna get this right. My buddy had, had made this possible. Leaving things better than you find them makes a very strong impression. It makes a very strong impression. If you don't believe me, ask anyone here today who has young kids and has had a babysitter come to their house. If a babysitter goes above and beyond what you've asked of them, it makes a huge impression. Like there's been times that Katie and I, 20 minutes after leaving the house, we'll get a text of a picture or a video of a babysitter painting nails with our daughters, game over. You just won. Like you just got rehired, you got a raise on the spot makes a huge impression. Or if we come home and the whole kitchen's clean and you've loaded the dishwasher, you've gone above and beyond, it makes a huge impression. Leaving things better than we find them is something that maybe our parents taught us or a coach taught us, or, or maybe it was a Southern hospitality thing. But the truth is, that's not where that concept started. Actually, that concept started 
from Jesus. Jesus came to earth and he left this world better than he found it. And he left every single relationship that chose to trust him better than he found them. This was a way that Jesus displayed his love. He was very intentional in the way that he loved to leave people and places better than he found them. And today, as we continue our series, Love Where You Live, we're gonna talk about how we can love this place that we live by leaving it better than we found it. And we're gonna jump to a story that's really popular, that even if you're unfamiliar with parts of the Bible, you might have heard this story of the Good Samaritan. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 10 together. And if not, it will be on the screens as well. Luke chapter 10, we're gonna start at verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man, he was in a conversation with another individual, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Two out of three of these individuals that passed this this, this, this stranger that is lying in a ditch, just gotten beaten and is, is stuck there, two out of three of them cross and intentionally go out of their way to avoid this individual. But one out of three, who's described as a despised Samaritan, saw this as an opportunity to display love to their neighbor and chose to engage in a way that would leave that individual better than they found them. Today, I wanna to talk about how, as a church, in our city, we have an opportunity, obviously, this Saturday to leave our city better than we found it. But the invitation to leave things better than we find them goes beyond just us getting out in the community and serving on Saturday. This is, this is an opportunity that you have in your relationships, in your marriage, or with siblings, or with your parents. This is an opportunity that you have in your places of work, that you can leave your workplaces better than you found them, the communities that you're involved in, the schools that you're involved in, this church, obviously, and this city. And I believe there's three kind of checkpoints that we learn from this Samaritan and learn from those that passed this individual by, that we can learn how do we leave things better than we find them? How do we leave people better than we find them? Number one, we have to be willing to stop. Number one, stop. Let's go back to verse 31. It says, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. When he came up on this individual, he intentionally made sure to go out of his way to avoid this opportunity that was right in front of him and kind of zoom on and keep going. And I wanna talk about a couple of details that 
we can extract from the fact that this guy was a priest. This was a detail that Jesus gave. Now, a priest at this time in Jewish history, this was an extremely important role. This was an important person. And important people tend to make sure that their time is available for important issues or important people. And this important priest saw this stranger as less important or unimportant enough that he was willing to go out of his way to avoid this individual. Also, with him being a priest and the fact that this guy was messy having been beaten up, what would happen according to Jewish law is if this priest had engaged, he would contaminate himself. And there was a lengthy process that was required for him to be cleansed as a priest, which illustrates the fact that when people are messy, and you get involved, typically you're gonna get messy and messes take time as well. And again, this priest has an opportunity, but he sees this as less important than whatever it is that he's gotta pass on the other side to keep going towards. What we really see from this priest is that he was busy enough to ignore this issue. And he was in a hurry enough to scoot right on and assume that someone else would take care of it, which how often? Do we do that? Assume that someone else will clean up a mess. Someone else will take care of an issue. And what allowed him to be blind to that and to accept that was being busy and being in a hurry. You know, we've talked about, uh, at different parts this year, we, we talked about anxiety being something that marks our time in history. I would say hurry and busyness is also something that marks our time in history. That when we are in a hurry, what can happen is we're not willing to be interrupted by unimportant problems or unimportant people. Like when we're in a hurry, there are plenty of interruptions that will get our attention, but they, they're reserved for important issues or important people. But for unimportant issues and unimportant people, we don't have time for that when we are in a hurry. I think I've mentioned this before, but if, if the enemy, if Satan cannot get us to willingly choose to jump into sin or evil behavior, he will gladly take the alternative, which is that we would slip into distraction. Let me say that again. If the enemy cannot get you to willingly choose sin, he will gladly hope that you will slip into distraction. Hurry is a distraction that can keep you from incredible opportunities to love where you live, to love the relationships that you're in. There was a journalist that asked a theologian how he would describe the spiritual disease of our day and age, and this theologian said that he would describe it in one word, that the spiritual disease of our day and age would be efficiency. Efficiency, that we have grown at becoming so efficient and our growth in efficiency has caused us to be in such a hurry because we are so bogged down and busy. And when I was reading about this, it talked about two inventions that have happened in the last couple of hundred years that has, that has multiplied our effectiveness and efficiency. The first of those inventions was the light bulb, which was invented in 1879. And what I was reading about, this, this blew my mind. Before the light bulb, if you were to just take a guess, before the light bulb was invented, 
on average, how many hours a night do you think the average American slept? How many hours a night do you think the average American slept before the invention of the light bulb? 10. 10 hours. What's, what's like the, the standard now is eight hours, right? That's like, that's the hope. I think I get eight hours like once a month, maybe, maybe. If, if I'm like doing my very best, 10 hours a night, the light bulb transformed so much about how we operate. It gave us the ability to operate beyond sunlight and it upped our efficiency, which upped our busyness, which upped us being in a hurry. Another huge invention was the iPhone. The iPhone. We got efficiency right here. Yes, there's plenty of leisure on here, but there's also ways that we can accomplish more and be more efficient in our relationships, more efficient in our work, more efficient in our communication. And, and some studies that have been done in 2016, the average iPhone user would touch their phone over 2,000 times a day for a total of over two and a half hours a day. That was 2016. Three years later, 2019, that went up to over five hours a day that the average iPhone user was spending using their device. As our efficiency has increased, our busyness and our level of hurry has increased. And when we're in a hurry, we're not as interruptible by the opportunities God would give us to love where we live. We're less interruptible, especially by seemingly unimportant problems or unimportant people. Let me ask you something today. How interruptible are you by unimportant things? How interruptible are you by unimportant people? How interruptible are you by the seemingly unimportant? If the answer is not very interruptible, it may be an opportunity for you to look at your schedule and say, you know what, God, is there places that I need to make room and create margin do I find myself overwhelmed or too busy or too much in a hurry that I would find myself doing just like the priest? Man, there's an issue there, but I've got more important things that I've got to get to. I've got more important people that need my attention, and so I'm gonna cross the road and pass right by the issue that's right in front of me. The first step to leaving things and people and this city better than we find it is having a willingness to stop, to stop which is what the second man in the story actually did. He did stop. And that's gonna lead us to our second point today, which is important, that we would see. That we would see. I'm gonna explain this as we go through. Let's go to Luke 10, verse 32. A temple assistant walked over and he looked at the man lying there. Like he walked over and, and he, was, he was taking a moment to take a look, but he also chose to go over it on the other side. He passed by on the other side. He was willing to look and he had a view that there was an issue, but he chose not to stop enough to truly actually see this individual for what put them there. He didn't choose to sit in it and see like what has happened? Why is this individual there? What do they need in order to get out? How can I help? Are there others that can help me? Like to truly see this individual. And I really believe that an opportunity that Jesus was inviting us into that we're gonna read about with this Samaritan who had compassion is seeing people requires that we actually have empathy for them. 
that we have empathy for the situation that they're in. Sometimes we can look at problems or at people with sympathy, but sympathy doesn't move us to action. Empathy does. Sympathy and empathy are two different things. Sympathy is where you can, you can view that someone's got a problem, but typically with sympathy, you're looking down on that individual. A lot of times with sympathy, you may make assumptions about why that individual's in the ditch in their life. And you may come to a conclusion that that's just kind of part of their choices that landed them there. Empathy is where you're willing to experience or feel what they're feeling. When you're willing to get down and see them where they're at and see how easily it could have been to get there, to see the backstory of what took place. Because remember in verse 30, it shows us how this individual landed in the ditch. It says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. I was talking to a friend a few years ago about the people in your life that are difficult to love. You know, you got people in your life that are a little bit more difficult to love. And we were, we were, talking, we were talking about like, what are ways that you can kind of push through that to love well? And if you, don't, if you don't have anybody in your life that's difficult to love, you may not be trying to love people because a better truth would be that it's not like some people are difficult to love. It's really like all people are difficult to love in some way, right? As you truly take steps to love people, you're going to come across situations that are difficult to love. But it just does feel like there are some people for you personally or for me personally that are a little bit more difficult to love. This person said something that was so profound I haven't forgotten. They said, they said, Kevin, everyone makes sense in light of their story. Everyone makes sense in light of their story. Like when you take a step in and start to understand what this person's been through in their life, some of the markers along their life and, and maybe where they were raised or what they came up with or what they experienced, you can start to make sense. No, you don't have to agree with every decision that they've made. You don't have to, to waver on right or wrong or, or miss the potential of where they can be later. But what you do when you take a step in to understand like, hey, this person makes sense in light of the story, what you're doing is you're saying, hey, I'm connecting with this individual's humanity to understand like what they've been through. It makes sense that they made the decisions that they made. It makes sense. I can see how they, one decision here and one decision, I can see how this individual may have landed in the ditch in their life. Or I can see that that happening to you would have put you behind or put you in the ditch. It's an opportunity that we have to empathize which can bring compassion into our hearts. I experienced empathy this last, uh, this last week. So I, I think I've mentioned this. I'm, I'm a huge college football fan and uh, I'm an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Have I mentioned that before? Okay, I think I've mentioned that. Um, you know, last week, uh, Alabama lost to my home state, Tennessee. Can I just like pray to not sin right now? I gotta like, <laughs> all right. It's the first time we've lost uh, to them since high school. Congratulations to a lot of my friends, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, you know what I found out last Sunday? I didn't know how many people in the state of South Carolina knew how to sing Rocky Top. <laughs> like over and over, I'm at the front door and you're just coming by. I mean, everybody's, everybody's letting me have it. 
But, but I experienced something different. On Thursday, I'm in this men's group, and I've got this guy in my group is awesome. Awesome dude. He's a, he's a heavy competitor, uh, athlete, um, loves sports. And one of the things he loves to do is banter. Like, if there was a person I thought I was going to hear it from when Bama lost, it was going to be him. And so I was kind of gearing up Thursday. And instead, I experienced, like, just empathy. He was, like, talking about, you know, what, what were the cues and things that happened in the game. And I was like, man, I'm kind of surprised. And then it hit me. I realized something. Um, this individual, unlike 90% of you, is not a Clemson fan. He's a South Carolina Gamecock fan. <laughs> and if there was anybody who understood losing, I mean... <laughs> we, I, felt, I felt closer to him. We, we were connected in the moment. I'm play, I, I, always, I always take a shot, but I feel like I could because you guys won last night. It was a great, great victory. That's a joke. <laughs> That's a joke, but that is a picture, y'all. There's a picture. Empathy is when you are able to understand like what someone's going through and what they are experiencing. There's a powerful moment that happens for the individual that you are empathizing with, but there's an even power, more powerful moment of what happens in you that leads to you actually doing something about it. See, this Samaritan, when he came up on the scene, let's take a look. It says, this despised Samaritan came along and he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Like when he saw this individual and he chose to, to feel empathy, he felt compassion. And so now he has stopped, he has seen and felt compassion. And feeling compassion is one thing, but doing something about it is another. And that's where we have point three today, which is to serve. To serve. To leave things or people better than we find them. We have to stop, we have to see, and we have to serve. Let's keep reading says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of them. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. He stopped, he saw this individual, and he served. And he had to overcome quite a bit to serve. First off, he had to overcome prejudice and, and race issues that were taking place. Samaritans and Jews, they hated each other during this time. But this Samaritan, who's described as a despised Samaritan in Jewish history, was able to see past those barriers and choose to engage and serve. And then he was over, able to overcome the amount of time that it took. He took time to see this, this individual's wounds and to bandage them up. He took time to lift this individual and place, place him on his donkey and take him to the inn, the closest inn that was there. And then he took time to make sure that, that the guy was set up and comfortable and, and ready to be able to heal. He stayed the night and he went and then he sacrificed money. It said that uh, when I was reading about this, that the amount of money he gave would have been about a day's wages. And that's just on the front end. Now he's offering, hey, whatever the bill runs up to while this guy heals up, I'll come back and I'll pay it. It's almost like if you came up on a car accident today and, and there was someone who needed your help and you made sure that they were able to get to the hospital, you went to the hospital, you found out that they didn't have the means to pay for their bills, they didn't have insurance, and you went up to the counter and said, hey, 
I will pay whatever it takes for them to get healthy. Just, just write my name on the bill and I'll come back and take care of it. That is like what this Samaritan was willing to do for this unimportant stranger that he saw in the ditch. Jesus taught this story, but really, this was a picture of Jesus' love, of the way that he leaves every single person who trusts him better than he finds them. See, for Jesus, he was willing to stop. Whatever enjoyable activity he could have been involved in in heaven where there's no pain, no suffering, and he was willing to stop and take his time to come down here and see us with empathy, not look down with sympathy and choose not to help. He chose to come down and see us and experience what you and I experience. The God of the universe became man and experienced the temptation, the pain, the suffering that you and I experienced so that he could empathize with us. And when he felt compassion, he did something about it. And he chose to serve. And what he did is he said, whatever the bill is, God, I've got it. And for God, that was the willingness to take the punishment of our sin. And so Jesus served by dying on a cross for you and for me. And God raised him from the dead. And for whoever calls on him, we get to receive this beautiful gift of a savior who saw us in the ditch, stopped, saw us, and served, and offers us full healing of eternal life. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And for all of us who've decided to follow him, the way he ends that story is he tells us to go and do the same. To go and do the same. So I wanna ask you today, in your life, are your relationships better than when you found them? Like, is your spouse better today than when you found him or her? Are your friendships better today than when you found them? Is your community better than when you found them? Is your workplace better than when you found it? Is your church better than when you found it? And is the city that you live in better than you found it? My prayer is that the scriptures today would inspire you to take a deep look into all of those areas of your life and ask that the Holy Spirit would help you to leave those situations better than you found them. But I also pray that as a church, we would take advantage of this opportunity that we have coming up this Saturday that the upstate of South Carolina would be better than we found it after we served this Saturday. This is an all hands on deck thing because it is an opportunity for us to love where we live and reflect the love of the perfect savior who did this for us while we were in the ditch. I asked Shanae, our outreach director, of just some of, some of the organizations that we're engaging with some of the statistics of, of what's going on so that we could actually see like what, what is going on right here in the upstate that maybe we overlook in, in our pace of life or in the things that we've deemed important. 
Did you know that one in seven residents lives below the poverty line right here in Oconee County? One in seven. 65% of students that are engaged in the school system live with economic need. 65%. And just last two weeks, fostering faithfully, which works to, to foster children in our community, they've seen 14 new children between the ages of nine, nine and 15. In the last two weeks, 14 new children right here in our county. Addiction runs rampant in the upstate. Really thankful for Home with a Heart, one of our organizations. They, they shared that this year alone, they've had 76 men graduate. 51 of those have gotten baptized this year. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And once a month, um, we have a team that goes over and serves the homeless at Dot's Kitchen. And we serve 90 meals on that Friday, joining with a ton of other volunteers and a ton of other churches that get involved with Dot's Kitchen. This is just, this is just a handful. Jordan said earlier, there, there are a ton of projects, a ton of opportunities, and there is a ton of need. There's no shortage of opportunity of people or situations that are in the ditch. And we can either pass by and assume someone else could take care of it, or we could love where we live by leaving it better than we found it. And so in a moment after I pray, we're gonna have an opportunity to go over there, and, and I'm encouraging, whatever you have on your schedule, it's worth it to, to hit pause, to stop, and to jump in on what God is allowing us to be a part of, to go and see people and see this community and to truly serve together. But as I pray, maybe you're here today and maybe you feel like, man, that's me in the ditch and I've yet to receive Jesus's saving love and saving power to leave me better than he found me. And so today you might ask him to be your savior. I'm gonna ask that we pray. And if that's you, you could just say this, Jesus, I need help. I know I'm a sinner and I know I've made a mess and there's a mess to clean up. But Jesus, I believe that you came here to earth and saw me and that you died for my sins and that God raised you from the dead. So today, I ask that you'll save me from my sins and I commit to follow you from this day forward. And Jesus, I'll go and do the same. I'll look for the people and the opportunities around me that are in the ditch right now. And just like you've done for me, I'll leave it better than I found it. Lord, I pray for all of us here in the room that you would inspire us today to leave our city, our workplaces, our relationships, our community, and our church better than we found it in a way that reflects the love that you've so generously poured out over us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus, amen.